Welcome to the Grace Experience with Grace Wood. Being raised as a devout Sunni Muslim woman, but much like the Apostle Paul, radically saved by Jesus with her own Damascus Road experience. Let's join Grace now and learn the lessons that she has learned from her Heavenly Father and rekindle our relationship with Him. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Grace Wood. What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Frank Henderson from D.I.B. Doing it big. It's a beautiful day. Lock in with me right now. I'm talking with Grace Wood, and she's going to give us her incredible testimony. What's up, Grace? Hi, everybody. (laughs) It's an honor to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Let's chop it up. All right. All right. So let's start at the beginning. You were raised in South Africa. Tell us about your upbringing. So I was born uh, in Durban, South Africa, which is the largest port in Southern Africa. Um, I was there from, of course, birth till age 19 when I came to the United States. Um, I was raised in a strict Sunni Muslim household. So my life consisted of school, regular school, and then Islamic study. And that's what life was. Now, are most people in your family in town that you're from, are they raised Muslim? Well, there is a mixture, but um, most of my mom's family are not Muslim. They're actually Christian. And the way we lived in the road, on the road that we lived on, our house was in the middle of two churches. <laughs> wow. I know, crazy. Uh, it was a, Pon- a Pentecostal church and Seventh-day Adventist church. Wow. So... In South Africa, there's Hindus, Muslims, Christians, uh, all religions, and really everybody gets along very well. Everybody's very respectful of everybody's religions. Uh, you know, like for Christmas or Diwali or uh, Jewish holidays, everybody mixes. It's not an issue at all. Let's roll back a second here. So mm-hmm. Growing up in such a diverse neighborhood. Mm-hmm. How can you help the audience to understand the differences between a Sunni Muslim, a Shiite Muslim? So the difference between Sunni and and Shiites is, okay, so Sunni and Muslim are the biggest sects in Islam, right? The division came when Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, passed away. The Shiites believe that because his son-in-law was family and his name was Imam Ali, that he should have been the successor. But the Sunnis believed that it didn't matter if you were family or not. It was the one that they felt was the most devoted and his name was Abu Bakr. So they wanted him to be the successor. So this great war broke out in Islam and that's when the division came. So a little differences are when people get married, for example, Shia Muslims, they will have a contract. So say if you marry somebody, you have your contract, you're going to be married for three years and the woman has expectations, she wants A, B, C, D. In Sunnis, they don't do that. So those are some of the differences. And it's believed that Muhammad is a Sunni Muslim. So if you're Sunni, it's almost like you better because Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was Sunni. And I want to add this though. When I refer to Prophet Muhammad, I always say peace be upon him because it's a sign of respect. And because my goal is to minister to Muslims, if I don't say that, they find it offensive. So just just for people thinking, well, why is she saying that? 
And to say peace be upon him is not just solely for Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. It's for all the prophets, which include Abraham. Um, you know, they believe Jesus is a prophet. So they would say the same thing, Jesus, salam, which is the Arabic. But we say peace be upon him so people would understand if that makes sense. That makes sense. So if I'm understanding you right, it's kind of like the different sects in Christianity where you would be Baptist, Pentecostal. Uh, evangelical church of God in Christ. Is it kind of that way? Yes, that's exactly what's it like. Okay. So the foundation is the same. It's just little differences, you know, like, like explain with the Shiites and the Sunnis. That's where the division came. So as a Sunni Muslim. Yes, I was a Sunni Muslim. So give me a day in the life of what a Sunni Muslim, what it's like. So in my household, we would wake up well, let me back up. In Islam, you pray five times a day. There are five prayers. And they're all different times during the day, right? So um, where I lived, uh, the mosque was close by. So there would be like this loud call. And what it is means in English is that it's saying, you know, prayer is better than sleep. So this is like normally between 4 and 4.30 in the morning. It doesn't matter that everybody is not Muslim. So everybody hears that, you know. So Adan, it's called Adan, that's called to prayer. So if everybody's up in the morning in our household and you go and make wudu, everybody prays together as a family, okay? Then the kids will get ready for school. After that, you go to school, regular school day. You come back home and then at our house, because my mother is a madrasa teacher or imam in our community, so she would have Islamic school and that would be people would come over to our house because on our property, there's an Islamic school that she built. So then the next level starts. You learn Islamic history. You learn how to read the Quran in Arabic. Now, Arabic is not our first language, but the Quran was written in Arabic. So you have to learn how to read in Arabic, right? So that was the next step. And that was during the work, like the weekdays. Uh, weekends uh, includes a lot of evangelism. So we would go to areas um, where very poor people lived and we would cook this enormous amounts of food. My mom would cook that and we would go and minister to them. And then the con people that wanted to convert, we would take them back home with us. So it was really just strict evangelism and being trained to do that because the, my role was to, after she converted them, was to teach him the day-to-day -day things of how to bath, because Islam has rules for everything. How to bath, how to go to the bathroom, how to uh, read namaz, which is, means pray. Um, so that's what my life was like. So how do you go from being a devout, Sunni Muslim to becoming a Christian? Uh, to be honest, uh, my whole life, as I look back, I can see the hand of God. Uh, I was always in the most uncomfortable situations where um, evangelists would approach me. I would be with my whole family, but they would always come to me. And it would always be like older Caucasian people. Now, when these people came to talk to me, I never thought anything. I just thought I was odd. I mean, I don't know why they used to talk to me. They would ask me, like, if you died today, where would you go? And I was very honest, and I would say, I'm going to hell. And they would be so taken aback, because who really says it out loud, right? But I just knew I was hellbound. So 
and they would say, well, why do you think you're going to go to hell? And I would say, because there's nothing I could do that's good enough because Islam is works-based. So this has been going on my whole life. And um, people would, like, I learned to read the Bible in Zulu. Didn't know, you know, how impactful that would be. So fast forward to, I come to the United States. Um, I have a niece. How old were you when you came to the United States? I was 19. Okay. So I never in my wildest dreams would have ever thought that I would be a Christian. Like, honestly, never, never entertained it. Like I told you, we actually went to a Catholic school. So I knew all the scriptures. I was actually more uh, interested, well, to learn the scriptures than my Christian counterparts because I was competitive, right? Knew the scriptures, went to a Catholic school. Our house is in the middle of two churches. Never did it ever enter my mind that I would ever be a Christian. So anyway, um, I'm living in Mesquite at the time and I'm staying with my brother. My niece has cerebral palsy and I was going to school at night and looking after her during the day. So she started having seizures, really, really bad seizures. And it would just happen suddenly. And, you know, being taken care of her and seeing that she's not getting better and praying all these extra prayers, fasting, nothing's happening. So I remember one day sitting in front of the TV, scrolling through the channels, and I remembered that my mom said, you know, as a Muslim, we could accept prayer from a Christian and a Jew because they are people of the book. So I was so desperate. I called this number, uh, TBN. So I called this number and a woman gets on the phone. I'll never forget. I was like, look, I need you to pray for my niece. I know you people talk about Jesus. I don't need your Jesus. I just need you to pray for her. You know, so she didn't say the prayer of salvation or anything like that because I was very clear on what I wanted. But something happened when she was praying. Um, I experienced something I'd never experienced before. It was this presence. Now, I was a person of prayer before I was a Christian. I was very disciplined. I prayed all the time. But the motivation for prayer was because I was trying to avoid hellfire, right? So that's why I was praying. So, but this feeling was not, there was no fear. It was warm. I almost thought it was love, but I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> it was just different. So when I got off the phone, I said to myself, what happened? Like, what was that? Um, is this Jesus more than what we were taught? In Islam, they teach us he's a prophet, but he's one of the greatest prophets. Um, he was a prophet that performed all the miracles, and he was actually one of the most respected, right? So I'm like... Is something, is he more than what I was taught? And so that's when the confusion initially began. I didn't tell anybody. Um, I still continued praying as a Muslim. Um, I would have these conversations with myself and like, girl, you can't tell anybody this happened. So I spoke to, at the time I was dating this guy and I told him what happened and that was when I was introduced to worship music. It was after that. So that's when initially the confusion started. But it took from 1999 till 2006 is when I was, I, I had a vision and I knew then that I could no longer, you know, deny the Lordship of Christ. So from that point, from 99 to 2006, I was having these visions and having these conversations with the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know there was the Holy Spirit. Um, very intense conversations, but 
finally, it was December of 2005. I was sitting in a Walmart parking lot and this day was a bad day. Like it was yeah, December, 2005. Cause I, I kept, I used to keep thinking like, if I died, where am I going? Like, Jesus, is it you? Allah, is it you? Like, what, what is this? Um, and so I just cried out to God and I said, listen, if Jesus, if you are God, then you're going to show me a sign. I'm not going to pick up your Bible because every time I try to read the Bible, I would get this fear and um, I just couldn't do it. Like I wasn't going to do it. I just said, look, if you're God, then you're going to show me that you're God. And I said, okay, Allah, if you are God, then, I mean, show me. And then I would just continue what I know. It would be easy, right? But Jesus, if you're God, I'll give up everything. I will tell everybody what you did um, and I'll tell my family and I would devote my life to you if you showed me that you were God, because I can no longer live in this turmoil. At the time, my oldest was four years old and I hadn't taught her anything. I hadn't taught her about Islam. I hadn't taught her about Christianity. Of course, I couldn't teach her about Christianity. So I was at a place where I knew I had to teach her something because I didn't want her to grow up to be, you know, those people you hear like, oh, I'm spiritual. I believe in a higher power. No, she needed to have a foundation. So it was my love for my daughter that compelled me to really be serious and ask God, whoever he was, who he was. Like, show me, show me a sign. So that's how it started. Wow. So so let me ask you this question, Grace. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was a process for you. Yes. And probably there are millions of others that it'll be a process for. Mm-hmm. Do you feel as if it was a, it was Christ slowly revealing himself to you? Yes. I believe that very strongly. God is going to meet you exactly where you at. He's not going to give you too much. He's wow. not going to give you too little. He'll give you exactly. He is the God that mapped your entire journey mm. before the foundation of the earth. The Bible says in Proverbs 8, when he created everything, he consulted wisdom. There was nothing that God did that he did without wisdom. So in my mind's eye, when I think about people, period, about their journeys, about their walk to Christ, about how God will coax you and woo you, because I feel like I was in this romance, right? He was wooing me because he appealed to my intellectual side a lot. So he would show me things and I would chase after that, right? So God knew this when he was with wisdom creating me. He knew I'm going to make Rabia like this. And when he consults with wisdom and they like high five and they're like, yes, we're going to make it like this. So God is so intentional for everybody that he goes after. It is his plan for all of us to know him. But again, we all have choices, right? I could have chose to say no and went on with my life and being the best Muslim because I would have been the best Muslim. I mean, that's just how I'm wired, right? Anything I choose to do and I believe it my whole heart, I'll put everything into it. That's how God designed me. So I believe that God goes after us in that way. He's not going to come to you in a way that's unfamiliar. Because to get your attention, right, he has to come to you in a way that's familiar, a way that you would recognize like, hey, this is different, But there's something intriguing about this. That's what got my attention. I was like, when the woman was praying, 
I was like, this feels like love. And But when I'm praying to Allah, I don't feel the sense of peace. I don't feel this love. I don't feel this. What is this? What is so different about this God that I feel this? But then I'm doing all these works. I'm doing all these things and I don't experience this. And yes, it's not always about feelings, but God gave us emotions, right? And they're there to protect us. They're there to guide us. Now, I'm not saying you're supposed to be driven by your emotions, but even the Holy Spirit is emotional, right? Those things are there to guide. And so I went along with that. And I believe that, yes, God left a trail. It kind of reminds me of, uh, what's that fable? Hansel and Gretel. Have you ever heard of Hansel and Gretel? Yes. When they leave crumbs, they left the crumbs so yes. that they could go back to their parents, right? So God kind of does the same thing, but you're not going to get lost. You're actually, actually going to be found when you find Christ. Wow. You know, it may be difficult because in my situation and in my background, when you leave Islam, the penalty is death. It is a risk. It's not like your family celebrates your enlightenment and say, girl, you're doing so good. I'm so excited for you. No, you are ostracized. You are treated poorly. You have now become like trash. People treat you like you are trash. You like nobody and nothing. And the only way that you know that you're somebody is because of your identity in Christ. They will wear you out. If Hold you on, Grace. Okay. Hold on. Before we go there, before yes, we sir. go there, I want to bag back up to something really quick because I definitely want to okay. ask you a question about your family relationship. Okay. Okay. But what I'd like to ask you right now is, I think you dropped something that was very, very important. And that was you were praying. And when this woman prayed with you from TBN, mm -hmm. what began to feel was love. Yes. And I believe there are tons and tons of people. I, I, I believe that love is the most powerful force in the world, in the earth. Yes. And I think it was with love that Christ began to draw you. Yes. So a lot of people, that are involved in uh, the Muslim religion and other religions, how would you describe what it was like to encounter a God that was totally hmm. <laughs> love to you? It was peace. It was acceptance. It was like, I felt like, even now, I feel like I walk in a bubble of love. I don't feel condemned. Um, back then, of course, I didn't have all this terminology to describe God, right? So I'll go back then how I felt. I felt like there was so much more to life than what I was taught. Um, I felt that this love, I wanted to know more about this love. I couldn't understand why would a God think that I'm so wonderful that he would die for me? Like, because Islam doesn't believe that Jesus was crucified, right? That is mm -hmm. actually taboo. You know, we are taught as Muslims that if you have a headache, why would I take the medicine? Because that's in fact what Jesus did when he took on the sin of the world, when he took on iniquity and sickness and all this. That's what he did. And to love me that much that he would sacrifice his life for me, that was huge. Because in Islam, people will, you know, there's martyrdom based upon, oh, if you do this, you're going to go to heaven and you're going to have all these things in heaven, right? That satisfy your flesh. Okay. So 
when I thought about love, I thought it was so selfless that you mm. would do that to, for me. You know, some versions of the Bible say that when Jesus died, it was like he they went for, he went for the juggler. God went for the jugular. And you know, if you cut your jugular, you will immediately bleed out, right? That is so profound to me that God would think that we are so wonderful that he would give his most prized possession, like he's everything. Wow. So the thought of that made me really think, because, you know, again, I went to a Catholic school. So right. the stories of Jesus, I heard about them, but it didn't penetrate my spirit at all. Well, Grace, I was not moved. Mm -hmm. Grace, right here, I'm sure there, there are people that are listening to your podcast right now. They're listening to us in this interview and you're telling this testimony about your encounter with God. Can we take a 30 seconds and just pray for anyone that's listening that wants to experience this love? Can you take us there right now? Yes. Okay. Father, in the name of Jesus, there are people that you have came to Holy Spirit. There are people that have encountered you. They are yes. confused. They don't know if you are real God. But just like you opened my eyes, Holy Spirit, you can open their eyes. So, Father, I ask you right now to overshadow them with your presence. Yeah. Overshadow them with your power, God, with your love. Father, love them where they are at. Yes. Help them to accept themselves, all the ugly parts, God, of them. Love them through that, God. Help them to lean into you, Lord, even if they don't understand what that means or how that looks, but to trust you, to be, to have blinders on God. Father, I ask you to send people after them. Unindate them with people. When they say, no, God, send the next person. Equip the next person and the next person and the next person. Father, come to them in visions. Come to them in dreams. Come to them only the way you can know them, Father. Penetrate their very beings as they sit on their musallas, if they are Muslims. As they sit on their musallah, praying to Allah, Father. Intervene. Intercept. Show them a vision of your cross. Show them a vision of you, Jesus. Speak to them audibly that without a shadow of a doubt god don't let them be comfortable in their place holy spirit let them be uncomfortable don't let them even with my own family as much as yeah. i pray god do not bring them peace do not give them comfort until they want to search who you are for real so father i thank you for each and every person that is listening each and every person that is called even those that are christian that know you that have turned away from you father the prodigal son if he came back every day you would have a feast for him every day that is the love that you have for us god let them experience you like you they have never before Father, we thank you for their lives. We thank you for their legacies. We thank you that for such a time as this, God, that they will not know hellfire because they will say yes, God. They will give you a resounding yes. And when the, their yes will change the trajectory of their, of their vision, of their family, of their, the generations that come after them. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. My prayer is that... Uh Tons and tons of people all over the globe will encounter the living God through that prayer. Now, I, I've heard stories of how the culture doesn't take too kindly to people leaving the Muslim faith. 
Mm-mm, what was the reaction of your family? And I want you to be careful how you describe this reaction. And I want you to lace it with a lot of love, but truth, but a lot of love. But what was the reaction of your family? And were you threatened or shunned for converting? So after I had my encounter, I thought that I could be a secret believer. Okay. Even though I promised God that I would tell everybody, I said things out of desperation. I didn't actually know what I was saying at the time. I didn't know what that meant. (laughs) So I thought I could be a secret believer. And so after a period of time, I knew I had to tell my mom. I would pick up the phone to call her in Africa and I just would like, I, I couldn't do it, you know? Well, I need to back up and tell you this though. Um, during my period of time when I was confused and I didn't say anything to anybody, um, my mom would come to the States and she would visit. And every time she would go back, she would give me a book to read or an English Quran to read and she would have me rededicate myself back to Allah. Right. So I would have the Quran and I remember putting it on my lap and I just could not read it. Okay. So anyway, fast forward. Now I'm a Christian and I got to tell my mother, can't tell her. Then she called me one day. She's like, Hey, I'm coming to the States. So she comes to the States and, um, she's here for about, I think it was like five months at this visit. So month number one, didn't tell her, but month number four, I said to the Lord, I said, actually at the beginning of a visit, I said, God, when, when should I tell her? And the Holy Spirit told me that he will tell me when to tell her. Okay. So this was the measure when I knew to tell her. One day I have a dream. Okay. <laughs> and in the dream, I'm in a place where Satan is raising up an army. Okay. And it's babies in incubators. Like they're everywhere. Okay. And then the dream shifts and I'm in this banquet and I'm sitting with, my oldest, I only had one kid at the time, and I'm on this red couch, and I'm in the middle, Satan's on one side, and my oldest on the other side, and I turn to him, and I tell him, he can never have her, he will never have her, and in the dream, at one point, he grabs me, and he shoves me against the wall, and he's like, I know who you are, I know who you are, and I'm like, oh my gosh, so then I wake up, and I'm like, okay, what does this mean, and then after I prayed, the Holy Spirit told me, well, now it's time, so a week goes by and my mom tries to call me because I was supposed to take her to a flea market and she she's hanging up the phone, but she didn't hang it up, you know, properly. And I hear her telling my brother, you know what? If I didn't know any b- different, I would think this girl's a Christian because you can never get hold of her on Sunday mornings. And I'm like, oh my God, she knows. Oh God, she knows. She knows. Panicking, right? So I go and pick her up and she's acting very strange, but I act like I don't know what's going on either. So I take her to the store and she's making these comments and she says to me, you know, if I didn't know any better, I think you're Christian. And I immediately change the subject. So then we leave the store and we get into the car and she was like, man, I was so worried. You can tell me you were Christian. So I pull over and I say to her, okay, mom, what if I told you I was a Christian? What would you say? And in her thick accent, she was like, don't speak rubbish. That's impossible. No, I'm like, nah, for real. Like if I was a Christian, what would you say? And we keep going back and forth. And she turns to me, she says, are you a Christian, Robbie? And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. And she starts literally wailing. Like you would think somebody died. She starts saying a lot of things. And 
she turned white as a sheet. I mean, she was sweating profusely. So I take her to my brother's house to drop her off. She does not mention this at all, like for two weeks straight, because at the time I was buying my house and she doesn't say anything, like not one word. And so then we've closed the house and everything. And then she calls me up. She's like, hey, I need you to get some rough salt, some water, some all the, all these trinkets that um, you were using in Islam or really. Okay, so let me say this. Um, in Africa, people will say they'll be Christians, but then they'll also do ancestral worship, right? So we are part of a Zulu tribe. So there's Zulu and we're Muslim, right? So she told me to get these things so that she could bless the house. So I told her, I said, mom, you know, I'm a Christian, right? I don't believe in that anymore. And so that was when we started talking about the conversion again. She was real cool. Didn't tell anybody. What happened was when she went back to South Africa, she told family members. And then that's when everybody just lost their minds. And everybody stopped talking to me. And that went on for many, many years. And in Islam, the penalty um, for leaving Islam is death. Now, one of my concerns was not so much my family, but her followers and also the people that I had trained Islamically and then converted and then taught. And so there was a lot of that as well. So um, I would get messages and mail from a lot of people uh, concerning my conversion based upon, well, leaving Islam and then also who my mom is and in our community. So there was a lot of that and having to navigate through that and understanding that it's not me that they're mad at, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, it was tough, I, I will say. It was tough to be so close and then having nobody and having to believe with my whole heart that Jesus is God and knowing that I can't turn back, that I'm not going to turn back. And that is why it took so long for me to say yes, because I knew that in saying yes, I had to be absolutely certain because I wasn't going to waver. I didn't want to be one of those people that if somebody applied pressure, then you're going to run back. I knew that if I believed, I had to believe. I knew that they were going to place pressure. I knew that there wasn't going to be threats. I knew that. And I knew that I had to be unshakable because, and, and to be honest, I could not live a double life. I was not going to do that. There was not an option for me. And during that time of being ostracized, I learned so many things. I learned who God really was. I learned worship. I really learned how to pray. I learned to be alone. I learned that God will give you everything you need and he'll fill up those holes that he could be your mother, your brother, your father, your sister. He would send people to fill those roles. Um, I wasn't alone like I thought. I just, because culturally we were so tight, I missed that. I missed the fellowship. But I'm glad for that time because it didn't kill me. It actually strengthened my faith and made me more passionate about why I do what I do. Mm. You know, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense because what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of external pressure uh, to keep you in the faith that you were raised in. And I think 
I think that comes with every religion because people usually uh, gravitate to what they're exposed to. Mm-hmm. And then to change that, you know, is, is a real like tsunami for those that you were uh, engaged with and in, in, in having corporate relationship with, I think is pretty tough. But I, I just I would like to end this. Uh, this way because I think you've told so many things and said so many things. If there is a person right now that is listening and they're facing the hard decision of coming to Christ, they know it's going to hurt. They know it's going to hurt their family. They know they're going to break some hearts. They know they're going to probably be uh, shunned. And they got a lot of things in front of them. And that pressure is so weighty and so heavy. What would be your words to them? I would say, let me say this. When I understood my purpose and why I was created, I was not created to be my mother's daughter. I wasn't created to be somebody's sister. That's the role that God gave me. You know, I'm her daughter. Yes, I'm somebody's sister. I'm somebody's mother. I'm somebody's, you know. But my purpose Mm. is to propagate the gospel. That's why I was created. So when you understand purpose and you understand what the word of God says, Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace. And you Mm. understand these scriptures and you know, like I'm walking this thing out. At the end of the day, there's no human being that can put you in a heaven or hell. You know, Peter said in the Bible that we ought to follow God and not men. These are the scriptures that I read and I, I hung on to. And for me, God was talking to me in the form of visions, in dreams, and sometimes orderly. And he was always consistent. In my family life, and you can think about your own family, there's no human being that is consistent. Somebody's going to disappoint you. Somebody's going to hurt you. But God is consistent. He can remove yes. hurt in the blink of an eye through revelation, through sending other people. I knew that the, the only person that could help me in any type of way was him. Because even in my iniquity, even in my fussing and fighting and being angry, God never changed towards me. He was consistent. And that was the only consistency that I've had in my entire life. So I am devoted to that. When you understand who God is in your life, and yes, we don't see God, but I believe but I don't see, right? None of us see. We, well, I don't know about you, but I have not seen God with my bare eyes. I can't say I've seen the face of Jesus. No, but I feel his presence and his love. And that's what kept me going. You will experience the same thing. God is not going to draw you out. Okay. To allow you to suffer, to hurt. Everything that you lost will be replaced. If I'm completely honest, mm-hmm. A lot of things I lost were things I needed to lose, like anger, pain, rage, all those things needed to go. Family members that I've lost, does it hurt? Of course, but it's not like venom anymore where I just become so, you know, what's, you know how venom will, what's the word, Jesus? No, paralyzed. No, I'm not paralyzed if no one talks to me. I didn't die Mm. in eight years. In fact, I got stronger. I got better. And you will get better. And it gets easier. It doesn't mean the pain goes away, but it gets easier because you keep your eyes 
upwards okay you keep your eyes on god you you keep yourself okay what is my purpose why am i created okay god said okay grace you're going to help other muslims transition and you're going to help people to return to their first love so that's where i keep going you're going to help people heal i know why i was born so the first thing i would tell you is right. find out why you were born because you were not just born to get married have kids raise them get old die really you think god stood with creation i mean stood with wisdom and planned you out for you to do nothing for him i think that's not true i think some of us play it safe because we're afraid for what, whatever reason people don't want to fully <laughs> fully follow jesus we want to do it just maybe a little bit we want to sound like we christians but in order to truly follow christ there are things you're going to have to give up there are things that you're going to lose and you have to be okay with it and after a while you will be okay with it cuz the other things don't really matter at the end of the day it does not matter what you do for christ is what lasts and what matters incredible grace it's been wonderful talking to you i think that uh the points that needed to be made have been made and this has been an incredible testimony about god his love his ability to reach for someone and to consistently pursue them and bring them into the reason for being jesus said for this cause came i to the earth and i think when we find that out we 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 find ourselves in him and then we begin to just be the light he created yeah. us to be dib the grace experience thanks for rocking with me i appreciate it and uh, i pray that this blesses a million people bless you grace thank you for the interview pastor frank i appreciate it boom We hope that you have enjoyed today's show of the Grace Experience. Be sure and like her Facebook page, Grace Wood, host of the Grace Experience show. You can email her at experiencegrace2020 at gmail.com. Join us next week for the Grace Experience.